Hello and welcome back to Dramini Audio Fix. Today I will be reading the third chapter of All You Want by Senlin Yu. Keep in mind that this fic is rated E for explicit and does contain consensual sex in this chapter. Chapter 3. You Get What You Need. Draco Malfoy was skulking in an abandoned wing of Hogwarts. He admitted it freely. Well, not if anyone were to come across him. He would deny it vociferously then. But to himself, he freely admitted that he was skulking. Generally speaking, skulking would be considered something degrading and unacceptable for Malfoys to engage in. But, in Draco's opinion, considering the long list of unfortunate and embarrassing things he'd done in his life, the degradation of skulking barely registered. His reasons for skulking were many. For one, Daphne Greengrass was very aggressively in pursuit of him and dragging her sister along with her. She had sent him a letter out of the blue, telling him that she had heard about his library, that it was regarded as one of the largest libraries in Britain, and that she and Astoria would love if they could be invited to come see it, that they would be honored. It was unexpected, to say the least. He had never heard of anyone using a library as a sexual euphemism. He ignored the letter. She sent a second one. He asked Theo if he had any idea why the green grasses were writing to him about his library, and Theo just smirked and said that they had written to him too. Theo said he'd already invited them to his manor earlier in the summer, and both girls had spent an afternoon exploring it. Theo also mentioned that they'd written and been invited to Blaze's townhouse for a day. Largest library in Britain indeed. Draco ignored the letters. But when he got onto the Hogwarts Express, Daphne had immediately found him and asked about whether he'd gotten her letters, and inquired if it was at all possible to maybe see his library over the Christmas holidays. Draco had flatly said that as a general rule, he did not just show his library to any witch who wanted to see it. Then Daphne got miffed and said she knew that Pansy had seen it any time she wanted to, and that Daphne couldn't understand why he was unwilling to let herself and Astoria see it at least once. Draco had awkwardly fled. Having the green grasses ill-concealed whatever it was as the primary exception to his status as a social pariah was not really consoling. With the exception of Blaze and Theo, the rest of his classmates made no effort to conceal their contempt of Draco and his family. He was damned on both sides. The Malfoys were either spineless traitors or spineless death eaters. He had gotten very talented at wandlessly casting shields due to the quantity of hexes shot at his back when walking down the halls. Blocking hexes and avoiding other students was all he was allowed to do. He suspected that there were quite a few 7th and 8th years trying to provoke him into doing something that would get him expelled. Too bad for them. He was not going to give anyone the satisfaction. He had returned to Hogwarts, per the conditions of his probation, and was determined to complete the year with his head down, grades to rival Granger's, and not so much as a toe over the line. Because said toe could result in his expulsion, a violation of the terms of his probation that could get him packed off to Azkaban to join his father. Ergo, he was skulking in an abandoned wing of the castle trying to avoid everyone. It was an exercise in self-preservation, the one and only talent everyone could agree that Malfoy's possessed. He pulled a textbook out of his bag and set to review it. He'd had arithmancy that day. Granger had been mysteriously absent. 
It had been obvious because Vector had been assigning pairs, and Granger, being absent and unable to protest, had the misfortune of being paired with him for the upcoming project. He had been instructed to inform her, a conversation he was dreading. Granger had been avoiding him like he was a contagious disease ever since she'd seen him on the Hogwarts Express. Not that they were friends or even cordial acquaintances, but the trio had made overtures of forgiveness toward the Malfoy family. They'd all testified at both his trial as well as his mother's, and gotten him sentenced to probation rather than time in Azkaban. Granger had been downright decent to him after his trial, even though he had never given her any reason to do so in his entire life. But whatever accommodation she was willing to afford him as a member of the trio, she was clearly disinclined to carry over into her private life. Which was understandable. He couldn't imagine testifying on behalf of someone who had watched while he was tortured in their house. He made a mental note to approach her in the Great Hall the next time he saw her. He expected she'd just choose to endure the assignment. If not, he'd talk to Vector about extra credit options to make up for the failing grade. He honestly wasn't sure which scenario he was dreading more. He'd rather not endure having it spelled out that she would prefer to get her first failed assignment than work with him. But on the other hand... Working together on homework could be potentially problematic. He was still adapting to all the changes caused by the abrupt growth spurt immediately following his 18th birthday. He hadn't yet gotten used to his suddenly heightened senses. The things he could hear and smell were distracting enough to make him want to set something on fire. He had never, ever had the desire to smell a witch's fertility, but now he couldn't stop himself from detecting it. At its height, it smelled like ripe peaches— which had permanently ruined peaches for him forever. When they were bleeding, it was so obvious he could practically taste it in the air. It was clear why wizarding education traditionally ended at 17. Trying to live in close quarters with several hundred fertile females was so overwhelming it wasn't even arousing. Especially when the grand majority of said witches were younger than him, some barely pubescent, which made the knowledge distinctly depraved and vile-feeling. Draco knew exactly who was shagging whom. Every illicit and non-illicit relationship greeted him like a slap in the face. Anthony Goldstein was apparently using his newfound personality to try and shag his way through the 6th, 7th, and 8th year female population. If he never smelled Goldstein on another witch, it would be too soon. Even without Draco's general status of pariah and the attention of the green grasses, he'd still be avoiding common areas devoutly. If he'd come into his alpha traits a few years earlier, he probably would have been preening about it and abusing his dominance right alongside Goldstein. In fact, two years prior, he had been planning on it. But having Voldemort live in his house for over a year had a severe dampening effect upon his personality. Having an instinctive sense of power and influence over people felt uncomfortable to him. Also, the ministry was breathing down his neck and waiting for him to slip up so they could seize his inheritance and sentence him to a life in Azkaban. Being an alpha with a suddenly intrinsic need for control felt very unfortunately timed. No one had warned him about how awful most teenage wizards smelled, nor about the quantities of body sprays, perfumes, and shampoos that witches like to bathe themselves in, in addition to their fecund peachiness. Not to mention all the noise. He could hear a pin drop down a hallway. He was especially attuned to high pitches. Crying females, especially. Even with muffling charms around his bed, 
he could hear homesick first-years sniffling in their beds. The noise and the smells had all been thrust upon him for the purpose of aiding him in tracking down an elusive Omega like a hunting dog. Because apparently, alpha biology couldn't be a bit more magical and a little less animal. No scrying mirrors or divining dreams for alphas. And it would never stop. Even when he was married, he'd remain attuned to it. He would suffer from smelling every damn witch's fertility for the rest of his life, despite the infinitesimally small chance that an Omega would even appear in the near future. The only ones he knew of were Molly Weasley and his grandmother. It was all annoying and futile feeling, but manageable. Or rather, it had been manageable until he'd made the mistake of talking to Granger four days earlier. She had seemed off ever since the beginning of the school year. Skittish. She'd dash into the great hall and scarf her food down before fleeing again. She was never in the library. She'd stopped answering questions in class. When she blew up a cauldron in potions, she'd seemed more distraught that several of the boys in the class were swearing loudly in surprise than because she was dripping with sloth brain slime. It had all been outré enough that Draco had felt driven to find out why, as though testifying at his trial had made Granger's life his business. Somehow, his brain had thought an excellent means by which to check on her would be by aggressively approaching her until she was stumbling backwards trying to get away from him. Seeing her get skittish and wide-eyed had made something inside him rear its head, and so, rather than doing the logical thing and step back and give her space, he decided to get closer. In the process of doing so, he discovered that Granger did not smell like peaches. She smelled like... he couldn't even describe it divine. He'd immediately wanted to know if she'd taste as good if he licked her. He had an overwhelming impression that if he snogged her, she'd stop looking scared. Because obviously, if a boy bullied a girl for years and then tried to kiss her, she'd be into it and not immediately attempt to castrate him in the middle of the hallway. To stop himself from doing anything spectacularly stupid that might result in ending his family line, Draco had turned tail and fled to his room. He still couldn't understand it. He wondered if Muggleborns just smelled different. He hadn't had many means by which to investigate whether the smell was a Granger thing or a Muggleborn thing. Most Muggleborns had fled during the war. The only Muggleborn witches at Hogwarts aside from Granger were first years. If any of them had already gone through puberty, he honestly didn't want to know. As for the kissing bit, well, he wasn't quite sure what had abruptly come over him in regard to Granger. Becoming inexplicably and overwhelmingly attracted to her was a horrendously bad idea. So bad, he could easily produce a bar graph to illustrate the various reasons why. High points would include that bit where he had bullied her for seven years, been a Death Eater, and that time his insane aunt had tortured her in his drawing room for nearly an hour while he stood by and watched. He shuddered and tried to block the memory with occlumency. Of all the moments in the entire war, that particular memory haunted him most. He had nightmares about it constantly, and sometimes he swore he could still hear her crying when he was alone. As he sat in the hallway trying to block out the memory, he almost thought he could hear it, the helpless, agonized sobs. It was as though they had burrowed into his eardrums and he was incapable of ever escaping them. He groaned and smacked himself across the forehead with his arithmancy textbook. Add hallucinations to his post-war trauma. He would almost swear the sound was real, faint wails echoing off the walls of the hallway. 
He ground his teeth and forced himself to keep reading. After half an hour, he felt on the verge of losing his mind. The sobs were almost indiscernible, but they sounded real. They would fade away and then suddenly start again. Every time it felt like a knife being driven into him and then twisted. He was getting completely overwhelmed by the urge to go save her. There was bitter irony to abruptly developing a sense of chivalry after the war was over. Unfortunately, his alpha instincts could not be convinced that they weren't real cries. No matter how firmly he reminded himself that the sounds were hallucinations, he couldn't rationalize away the growing need he felt to respond to them. He ground his jaw and kept rereading the same page of his arithmancy homework. Finally, he couldn't take it any longer. It was as though his continued choice to sit and read was steadily corrupting something intrinsic to his nature. He felt as though he were going mad from it. He shoved his book angrily into his satchel and set out to prove to himself that Granger was not actually crying in pain anywhere in an abandoned wing of Hogwarts. He strode quickly down the hallway in the direction of the sound. After walking to the end of the hallway and taking a left, he nearly stumbled as he realized the sound had grown louder. He hesitated for a moment, wondering if he should go get help. Heroics really wasn't his thing. But it could take an hour before he'd find a professor or a prefect who'd believe him and come. It would require him to turn and leave, heading in the opposite direction of wherever Granger was crying. The idea of walking away from her at all was too horrible to even consider. He broke into a run. She was hurt. She was somewhere alone. He needed to get to her immediately. It was all he could think about. There was a desperate need to find her, to reach her, that made it very difficult for him to think about anything else. As he progressed further down the hall, her crying started growing fainter. He turned and went back, going back and forth until he finally zeroed in on where the almost indiscernible sound seemed the loudest. There were wards, a veritable mountain of them. Repelling wards, muffling wards, bedazzlement and disillusionment. He forced his way through them by sheer willpower until he finally found the door he had passed a dozen times. It was locked from both sides. Whoever had hidden Granger had gone to considerable lengths to keep her from being found. They had imprisoned her. They were torturing her. In Hogwarts. Drago would have probably felt sick if he weren't so preoccupied with being enraged. He was going to kill them. Whoever they were, he was going to tear them limb from limb and then go to Azkaban with a smile on his face. It didn't matter if he and Granger weren't friends. She had been tortured in his house while he stood and stared. Then she'd voluntarily testified on his behalf. He owed her. The only reason he'd even found her was because he knew what her sobs sounded like. The inflection of them had been tattooed into his brain. In a room full of wailing, he'd be able to pinpoint Granger apart from any other witch. He tried breaking through the door, and when it failed to give in under a bombarda maxima, he proceeded to blow a hole in the stone wall. As soon as he broke through the wall, he was slammed by the overwhelming scent of her. It was as though someone had bottled her into a perfume and then drenched the entire room with it. He barely paid attention. He surveyed the room. There was an unmade bed, a couch, a table, and no granger. He followed the continued sobs down a hallway and found a bathroom. She was huddled in the shower under a spray so frigid he could feel the cold mist from across the room. She was weeping and rocking on the floor and hugging her knees. Granger? His voice was rasping. Her crying abruptly ceased and her head shot up. Her huge eyes immediately locked on his face. She gasped with relief and stretched out a hand towards him. 
He immediately moved towards her and into the freezing water. Granger, what happened to you? he asked. She grabbed a hold of his school robes and then dragged herself into his arms, burying her face into his neck. As she did so, a detail that the endless streams of water had concealed suddenly became clear to him. Granger was an Omega, and she was in the peak of a heat cycle. He had no idea how he knew, but he was more certain of it than he was of his own name. She was naked, and she had just climbed into his arms and started desperately licking the glands on his neck. Before he had time to register his astonishment, a wave of blinding arousal dropped down on him and smothered his ability to think coherently. His instincts reared up and swallowed him. He gathered her into his arms and pulled her out from under the spray of cold water, pressing his nose against her neck and breathing in her scent. He ran his tongue across her skin, and the combination of her scent and his was just positively, mind-bogglingly perfect. He kissed her, and she shivered and kissed him back. He slid his hands along her body. His Omega. His. He found her. She had been all alone and in pain, and he had found her. She needed him. He needed her. He started running his hands over her icy skin to warm her. She was so cold. He could feel it radiating through his school uniform. He breathed along her shoulder, and she pressed herself closer to him. She was shivering and grasping at his robes as though she expected him to disappear. It had never occurred to Draco that he would ever actually find an Omega. It had been a total fantasy. They were so rare. Not even his father had found one. Even as a conceited little snot prior to the war, Draco had never had the audacity to assume such a thing. Not even he had been that delusional. But here she was. He kissed her. He wrapped her legs around his waist and dragged her closer. Her lips were so soft and sweet. Her face was pale and cold. He lifted his hands up and cradled her cheeks, trying to warm them. Granger's hands were tugging desperately at his buttons. He reached down and ripped his robes and shirt open. Ever since he'd presented, his temperature had run hot. She pressed herself against him with a sigh. She was freezing cold. Her nose pressed against him felt like an ice cube. Her tongue, lightly running over his pectorals, felt like fire. He cast a drying charm on her hair and kept running his hands over her back and shoulders, muttering warming charms. Even his hands dwarfed her. Her skin was silken to the touch. He slid his fingers over her neck until she gave a sharp gasp and arched her neck to give him better access. He dropped his head down and breathed her in. She smelled divine, a sweet, floral scent that had a slightly matured, spicy complexity that had been absent before. She hadn't fully presented that day in the hallway. That was why he hadn't instinctively understood why she smelled different. He ran the tip of his tongue along her neck and then made a slow, broad lick against her scent gland. She tensed and a deep moan rolled out of her as she arched against him. Her hands splayed reactively across his torso. She was trembling with need. Her body was steadily warming itself, burning quickly through the coldness she'd inflicted upon herself. As she burned, he could feel himself rapidly rising to meet her heat. He was getting flooded with hormones. He could fuck her for as long as she needed him. No matter her wants, he'd match them perfectly. He picked her up and carried her to the bed. As he laid her down, he could feel his magic closing over the room, creating an impenetrable ward, unlike the ones that had failed to keep him out. His little Omega. He wouldn't let anyone near her when she was so vulnerable. 
Granger was writhing in his arms and scenting herself against him desperately. The desire to rip off his remaining clothing and drive into her was so powerful he was starting to growl against her throat at the mere thought. Please, she kept whimpering and panting in his ear. Her fingers were on his belt and then opening his trousers. He felt her wrap her fingers around his cock and he nearly bit down on the scent gland he had just been dragging his tongue over. She slid her hand from base to tip and guided him toward her burning core. He hissed between his teeth and jerked in her hand. His. He was going to fuck her, sink every inch of himself into her tiny body and watch her take it, not inside her and then empty himself until he was bone dry. His. He'd fuck her and care for her through her whole heat. She'd keen at his every touch. He'd scent into her skin until every alpha in Britain knew she was his. That he'd taken her. His Omega. Perfect, perfect Granger. He slid his hands lightly down her body, ghosting over her skin, trying to take her in. Her breasts were firm, her nipples taut and peaked, her whole body shook. She was so sensitive, so needing. He slipped his fingers between her legs. She was soft, swollen, and dripping arousal. He brought his fingers up to taste. She wailed and bucked against his hand when he reached out to lightly touch her again. Her eyes were wide and locked on his face. She was so fucking wet. When she wasn't so sensitive, he was going to lick her cunt until she screamed. He shoved his pants off and climbed onto the bed, kneeling over her, memorizing her. He leaned down and kissed her as he aligned his hips. She spread for him desperately, open and submissive. He could feel her heat radiating from her core. She hooked her heel around his hips as he started to sink into her. She needed him, wanted him. He was going to take her. His. His Omega. Except not. Draco froze and suddenly hesitated. It was Granger. She was a perfect, needy Omega, and she was not for him. Not by a long shot. He was poison. He was a Death Eater. She'd been tortured in his house. He was not someone to take her or dominate her. As soon as her head cleared, she would be panicked and horrified to find him over her, in her. He ground his teeth, groaned, and jerked himself away. Her hands darted out to stop him, and he pulled further back. She sobbed and sat up. Don't you... don't you want me? Her expression was devastated. Fucking hell, Granger. He clamped his hand over his mouth and nose so that he'd stop smelling her, stop tasting her. It didn't really help. The smell of her heat was already on his skin. This is not... Let me get someone else. He deserved a monument for what he was doing. Merlin, he wanted to know what she felt like. He forced himself to refocus. Do you want Longbottom? He asked. She shook her head, looking like she was about to cry. Goldstein? He asked, clenching his jaw and struggling valiantly not to drag her back under him. He might just die if she started smelling like a wanker like Goldstein. She twisted her face and shook her head. Theo? If his best friend got to take Granger through her heat, he was probably going to kill him later. It would simply be too unfair to endure. Who? Granger looked dazed. Her hands kept inching toward him, and he kept dragging himself further away. He shook his head, trying to think straight, trying not to notice the arousal slicking her inner thighs, or how swollen and ready she was. 
His hand twitched as he fought against the urge to press his palm between her legs and feel how engorged and sensitive she'd become. He wanted her to grind against him. Theodore not? He was trying not to stare at her breasts. The nipples were flushed deep red and pebbled with arousal. What would they feel like under his thumbs or suckled into his mouth? What noises would she make if he touched them? Fuck, he wanted her. We've never even spoken, she said and took advantage of his daze to climb on top of him and take his cock into both hands. She slid her fingers up and down the length of him, and the sight made his brain short-circuit. Please, I want this inside me. Take care of me. Her final words reached inside and activated something instinctive in him. He couldn't. He surged up and flipped her under him, aligning himself until the tip of his cock brushed against her slick, swollen folds. He shook, trying to hold back for an extra moment. She gasped and her eyes rolled back briefly as she squirmed down and tried to impale herself. He groaned. Are you sure? He ground out. Yes, yes, please take me. Please take care of me, Alpha. She keened and bucked her hips to make him sink deeper. His. His to take care of. You're mine. My Omega. You're mine now. Every inch of you. No one else will ever touch you. You're mine. Every heat, you'll be under me. It will be my seed inside you. My not. He growled the words against her throat as he pinned her under himself. Her wrists were locked in his hand, her slick, wanton body pressed under him. Perfect. His omega. His. Ask me. Ask me to take you. His voice vibrated through her and she shuddered and arched under him. Please, please, she said. He sank slowly inside of her. She gasped and nodded and begged him to go deeper. She was so small. It should have been impossible for her to take him, but he drove in every inch and she wailed with pleasure. When he was all the way in, they both froze as they experienced the sensation. Perfect. So perfect. He hadn't known anything could feel so good. It was exquisite. Divine. If he weren't a wizard, he would have immediately proclaimed faith in any religion that could lay claim to the utter perfection he was experiencing. She was so good. It was like she was made for him. Velvet and molten heat. She felt as soft as liquid beneath his body and so small. He would break her if he weren't careful. His jaw clenched and his whole body shook as he tried to contain the pleasure surging through him. He had never been this hard. Granger looked like she was going into shock. Her eyes were wide and her expression dazed. Her hands were gripping his shoulders and tangling in his hair and dragging him closer as she arched her hips and tried to achieve the friction she wanted. He kissed her, dragging her so tight against his body it was impossible to say where either of them ended or began as he started moving his hips, driving into her. Mine. You're mine now. Her mouth tasted like honey. He couldn't stop kissing her, touching her, running his fingers across her breasts. As he felt himself start to grow inside her, he dropped his head down to lick and suck and gently slide his teeth over her glands. It made her inner walls clench and tremble around him. The sensation was unreal. She got tighter and tighter and her face showed exaltation. When he was fully locked inside of her, he felt his balls tighten and a tension radiate across his lower back as he started to come against her cervix. He muttered promises to her, 
Anything. He'd give her anything. He'd always take care of her. He told her how perfect she was. He told her that she was his, that she'd always be his. Granger's eyes grew bigger and it felt as though she were imploding. A deep shudder rolled through her whole body. Her gasps shivered over the sweat on his skin. She gripped him so tightly it became hard to breathe. Her burning, clenching cunt contracted like a vice around his knot as he jerked inside of her, filling her with his seed. She thrashed, bending backwards so rigidly he was afraid she'd break. He dragged her closer to himself, holding her wrists with one hand while he kissed and stroked her, telling her that she was perfect. He wanted to remind her that she was his. Draco kept coming inside her for minutes. Theoretically, he knew it was possible, but the actual experience was mind-bending. It was like feeling the rebirth of a universe. His whole world simultaneously exploded and reduced itself to a single point. It went on and on and on until his entire brain was alight and felt like he must be coming apart at a cellular level. When it finally eased, he slumped down and kissed her. It was bliss. He hadn't known it was possible for anything to be so impossibly sublime. Good girl, he muttered against her mouth. Good girl, you're such a good girl. I'm so pleased with you. The words were like magic on Granger. Her expression flooded with pleasure and relief, and she burrowed against him. They were still tied together. He shifted off her so that they were both lying on their sides. She was so small he could move her any way he wanted. He arranged her in his arms and slung her leg over his hip so he could slide his hand along it. He would never forget the precise way her body fit under him. He tangled his other hand in her hair and brushed the curls aside so that he could run his thumb against the gland on her neck. She arched her neck and buried her face into his chest and seemed to be breathing him in the same way he was breathing her. The air smelled like them. And sex. And sweat. It was all so mixed it was impossible to differentiate. It was just one smell. Of them. They were one. Granger was exhausted and her whole body grew limp against his. He gathered her closer to himself and felt her fall asleep in his arms while he kept scenting on her and touching her lightly. He memorized her breathing patterns and the sensation of her skin, and he ran his hands all over her curves. He should have probably stopped licking her, but he couldn't help himself. He had an insatiable need to taste her. He wanted to bite her. He wanted to make his claim on her permanent. He wanted to ensure no one could take his place. Then she'd only want him. But even in the height of a rut, he was aware that it crossed a line that he had no business going anywhere near. However, when the swelling finally eased enough that he was able to slip out of her, he reached his hand down and gathered some of his cum and spread it over the glands on her neck and wrists, lightly massaging it into the skin. She was his. If any alpha came near her, they wouldn't be able to ignore that Draco was there first. Not that it would stop them. Every unmarried alpha in Britain, and potentially most of Europe, would try to get a hold of her if given half a chance but they'd all know he was with her first, that he was the one caring for her during her heat. An hour later, when he had finally licked and caressed and held her to a point that he was capable of thoughts not based on pure instinct, it occurred to him that he had specifically thought earlier in the day that being interested in Granger was a terrible idea, that he shouldn't be there. He banished the thought. He tried. He fucking tried. He literally offered to personally go get Goldstein to see her through her heat. 
If there was anything else he should have done, he was at a loss as to what it was. He wasn't going anywhere. She was his. She needed him. He had to keep her warm and safe and fed. He had an overwhelming sense that he shouldn't leave her, even briefly. That instinct might have merely been his own sense of possessiveness, but he couldn't tell. He wasn't risking it. When she'd been alone, she'd cried like she had when his aunt was maiming her. He nuzzled against her neck and breathed in her heady scent. She burrowed closer to him with a sigh. End of chapter 3